You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Welcome to the Essential Apple Podcast, your home for news, views, security stories, technology, and all sorts of other related chit-chat that catches our attention. Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode. Um, And this week is a little bit of a special episode because we are joined by Andy J, our um, unofficial uh, security specialist and of course uh, digital forensic master. So, uh, hello Andy. Hey, nice to uh, to speak to you again. It's been a while. It has been a while. Good to have you back. Um, And Nick is here as well. Hello Nick. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Yes, it's good to have you on, Andy. Yes, it is. Thank you. Um, well, my 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 M1 has uh, officially about I don't know about half an hour before I was setting up to uh, do the show. Um, I checked the progress of the repair, and I've been told that that is um, officially completed and shipping. So uh, it's probably going to arrive tomorrow, um, oh. which will be my birthday. There you go. Ah. So, that's a nice birthday present. Well, as long as it stays fixed this time, it doesn't... Well, that's right. That's right, yeah. Again, which is intensely annoying. I think this time, as soon as I've got it all back to where it needs to be, assuming that they've done the same again, which they probably have, uh, I think I'll make another clone this time. But anyway, all that by the by, it's it's on its way back, having allegedly been um, fixed again. So, uh, there we are. Um... So, uh, one of the main reasons that uh, Andy has come on is because we're going to talk a bit more about Apple's child safety initiative. And um, obviously, Andy will know a lot more about that than we do. Um, Before we go over to Andy, I'm going to uh, say if you haven't um, heard Bart talking about this on uh, Alison Sheridan's Nazilla cast, uh, there will be a link in the show notes which should cut directly to Bart's segment at the end of the show. Uh, feel free to listen to the rest of the excellent Nazilla cast, of course, but um, I've got a time stamp uh, link which will take you directly to Bart, where Bart uh, explains, you know, to the rest of us what Apple are actually doing, not what, you know, a lot of people started blowing off about, um, but actually what Apple are doing and how they're doing it and, you know, why um, he and several of the rest of us think they're doing what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, go go have a listen to Bart about that. And also, of course, uh, Craig Federighi did an interview um where he talks about it as well. A link to that in the show notes. Um, but with that, I think we're going to go over to Andy. And uh, what do you think about all this um, hoo-ha, Andy? Well, it's uh, it was an interesting uh, revelation, wasn't it, I think, uh, to the general public about this. Uh, I think their marketing people could have uh, probably done a better job of uh, breaking up the, the three elements of... Uh, of what this is but uh yeah it's uh it's definitely a, a step in the right direction and i think um like looking at the details and i honestly think that bart's uh description of it is probably the best sort of layman's terms way of reading through the uh the technical detail it's a very sophisticated process for the uh scanning of the uh child abuse images um but i'm not sure the publicity did them too good with the way it's being done with this on-device processing um my reading of through the technology is this can only be for one thing and this is so that they can do end-to-end encryption for yeah. iPhotos. Yeah. That's the only thing it can be done for i for iCloud photos. Yeah. Um, I I think sorry Simon. No, it's all right. You're on a slight delay, I think. That's that's the problem there. Um I, I'm with you on that one, Andy. I think it's quite likely and several other people who've actually studied the technicalities of it rather than you know, jumping in with both feet and hollering about Apple scanning all your photos and all sorts of other things. 
Um, the only reason that I can see that they're not doing it the same way as Facebook and Dropbox and Amazon and everybody else is doing it, who are all doing this, by the way, and many of them have been doing it for years, but they are scanning all of your pictures that are in their cloud, whereas Apple are saying this will only happen when an image is queued to go uh, up to iCloud. And if you don't want it to happen, if you, uh, you know, turn off iCloud photos, then none of your pictures will be hashed at all, nor will they be checked against the uh, CSAM database. Um, And the only reason I can really see that they want to do that is because they want to then be able to say, we have fully encrypted um, iCloud backups and iCloud photos and the whole of iCloud, in fact. Um, and we, you know, we can be relatively sure that no amount, you know, no large amount of CSAM child abuse, uh, you know, sexual abuse material is in iCloud uh, is because we check everything as it comes up. Um, it, yeah, the, the thing is, it does seem sl- slightly mishandled, but the problem is this whole thing got leaked effectively a few days before Apple. So I think Apple had to kind of rush out an explanation of what they were planning to do. They kind of got back-footed because somebody else kind of went and blew the whistle on them before they were ready to tell everybody what they were going to do. Um, and but, uh, do, we, we have this a lot, though, don't we? I mean, almost every news story that we get with regards to Apple and security starts off with a load of people saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And when you actually say, is it really falling? They sort of say, well, it looks a bit closer than it used to. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Uh, I I, I just get tired of it. You know, oh, no, it's the end of the world. And then then we actually get some people who actually read it as opposed to scan the headlines. Yes. And uh, uh, and we learned that actually Apple are doing the right thing again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, um the, you know, the only the only danger in this that any, you know, anyone who understands or has read or, you know, pro- properly dug in to what's actually going to go on is the risk of, you know, somebody like China insisting that they add more stuff to the hash database that they wish to use. But Apple yeah. said that they won't accept that. Um, that yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, it's a poor argument if you've got to say, yes, but what happens if? Mm, what if? I mean, if, yeah, yeah, exactly. What happens if? When that happens, then come back and have a news story about it. Yeah. Or, <laughs> but let's know. not have a news story about what might happen. Um, as somebody put it on, I think it was Apple Insider, to be honest, who uh, obviously, like us, talked about this whole thing um, last week when it broke, and this week kind of followed up on it with um, you know more details because, you know, Craig Federighi has been interviewed, um, the, the security guy whose name I'm not even going to try and pronounce, uh, did an interview with TechCrunch, which is also linked, um, which is, a, you know, a written interview type of, uh, you know, kind of affair, uh, where he explains, you know, and clarifies certain points about what Apple are going to do. Um, and in the end, with anything like this, you have to, you know, somewhere along the line, you have to put a bit of trust. Now, you know, do you trust Apple um, to do what they say they're going to do and that they will resist any expansion of this technology except for, you know, what it's designed to do? Um, And if you, and even then, if you're not sure, until they actually somehow say, oh, we're expanding it to add, I don't know, some other, (laughs) you know, unpleasant material, it hasn't happened. Um, and as I say, on one of the podcasts, somebody said, well, you know, what if Apple build a rocket to blow up the moon? Well, they haven't done that yet, so there's no point worrying about it. If they say <laughs> they're going to do that, then, you know, let's all get the pitchforks and torches out. But um, I, the problem is a lot of people, um, I think, initially were either confused or conflated the three different things which are part of this initiative. 
And yeah. um, I think that's what Andy was probably about to say, wasn't it, Andy? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely spot on there. Uh, I think this is probably the best solution that they can do to safeguard our privacy. But the, the one thing I would have probably done, if, again, you know, not being in Apple security or the development, but maybe they could have got away from the on-device processing by putting in something similar to like the private relay so that your images get hashed by a intermediate server. And then if there's anything uh, that's flagged as CSAM, any alerts happen, and then your photos go on up to iCloud for permanent storage, it would be off-device, would still be secure, could be encrypted uh mm. in transit um i so i i don't know that's what i would have maybe considered for the privacy mm. for the you know the what goes on your phone stays on your phone argument i i think that apple they i think their view of it is or was that people would consider stuff being done on your phone or your device is more secure than any third party intermediary but the trouble is you know the hysterics here we're going to do xyz on your phone for your own security and take that as how dare they poke into my phone and do stuff um and i think a lot of people got very concerned about that because because of the conflation as well they're going to be pouring through your photographs you know trying to hunt out dodgy material which is not what they're doing at all um it 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 is always, of course, difficult because it's a very sensitive subject. And as everybody says, you know, nobody, uh, you know, wants to have anything to do, you know, that this sort of reprehensible material should be hunted down and expunged wherever possible. Um, but people get very worried about overreach, which is, you know, is a valid concern. I just think not enough people were conscious perhaps of the fact that you know everybody else is doing this they're just doing it server side and apple i believe feel that it is less risky for everybody if it's actually done on your device where effectively if nothing matches the hash nothing happens it hashes a picture as it's queued for icloud checks it against the database if if it's fine it just carries on it's just sent up as ever um yeah, um, don't get me. There's, there's nothing wrong with keeping Apple honest and and watching what they do with a, a laser probe. Because no. like, like every big corporation, you you know you you want to think they're doing the right thing. Uh, and so I, I I don't I understand why it blew up into a big story. Um, but I think we need to probably put it just put it put it behind us now and understand that Apple are trying to do the best thing that they can. Uh, and as we said last week, I mean, it, it's quite possible that there is a something behind this that is that is um, anticipating stuff coming further down the line, uh, maybe from government, who knows? I mean, it, you know, for, for all I know, they're already required to do this and they were, confi- you know, trying to consider what is the best way we can tackle this problem whilst preserving so. our users' privacy. Um, and it is... Um, a very technical solution um, and it's been engineered very cleverly to as far as I can tell protect everybody and to some extent I'll be honest if you read it carefully it's not even attempting to hunt down pedophiles or people who collect this vile material so much as to keep it off Apple servers Get you know we do not want any of your vile material on our servers partly because i mean it's possible that either the us or the eu are going to start holding some of these big cloud providers liable if they find stuff on their servers so that's um, always a possibility isn't it you know the the law is clear in that respect though even now the the law states that no one can possess child abuse images uh that's it there's no there's no get there's no um the law is clear in that respect what this is doing it you know people like um i think it's seop in the uk um the the uh lemec in the states have been given the um authority to process these images for the purpose of uh protection of children yeah um, um it's nick nick mech in there as they as yeah call yeah it. um who were a weird kind of non-governmental non-profit sort of strange construct they're neither government nor strictly private 
and they're the only people in the US who have permission to hold these images um, for the purpose of creating these hashes and fingerprinting them so that they can be hunted down. Um, uh, so it's yeah, it's it's I, I do think it's a great step in the right direction. And the three things that they've implemented are really uh, very, very well done. The the photo scanning, which we've just been talking about, realistically, is just going to give law enforcement the probable, probable cause they need to be able to go and swear a warrant out to take further action. Uh, but I think preventative wise, the iMessage um, photo scanning for the children and the uh, notifying of parents is going to have a big impact on grooming, mm. stopping of grooming of children. Um, yeah. Yes. And that is, of course, um, as Bart pointed out, that is, you know, it is purely opt in because it's a parental control. It's up to the parents to decide whether they wish to turn that on. Um, you've got to be part of a um, iCloud family anyway. Um, so I, I don't I don't think there's any nobody finds that controversial. And, um, you know, as Apple have said, e even when that happens, we don't get notified. We don't get it. It's purely client side. Um, the phone uses, you know, machine learning to say this picture looks like it might contain explicit material and therefore this child is under 13 and should be warned. And if they proceed, they get a warning. If you do this, your parents will be notified and so on. Um, so I don't think there's any, you know, I don't think anybody finds that controversial. And also, of course, um, they're adding uh, kind of support, you know, links to this stuff like you know why this is bad and you know it's not like this is bad and you shouldn't look at it it's been made much more child friendly than that um so so i don't think there's much problem with that um at all and obviously the syrian search things which if you type in something that might be considered um unsafe again um the search re results will point you to um resources that say you know do you need help with this or um you know are you suffering from this it, these are places where you can get help um which again is not um really controversial apparently google have been doing this for some time as well if you you know try and enter and search for some of this material you will get flagged don't do that um that the whole a lot of it i think blew up out of misunderstanding and the fact that it was all leaked and uh, you know before apple were ready to announce it and i think this is one of those things where apple playing all their cards close to their chest all of the time sometimes blows up in their face um because they got caught on the hop and they weren't really ready to explain what they were doing and they had to kind of try and explain to everybody what they were doing and why they were doing it and how they were going to do it after the headlines started screaming, you know, Apple are going to start invading your device and spying on you, um, which is never a good look. Yeah, I mean, conversely, conversely, the that root you must take rumors with a pinch of salt yeah indeed. they aren't necessarily true this is also you know good good point um so there we are um the technology though is uh is awesome mm. yes what they what they've developed i mean i i started investigating uh child abuse images back in my early police career like 1999 and we were just using you know standard hash values to find and filter and uh you know you change one one element of the file content and your hash is different then we moved on to uh fuzzy hashing where we were comparing the majority you know it would give us a percentage of the file if it was similar mm -hmm. but again it was only a percentage and now they've moved to this machine learning technology it's just yeah it's amazing the technology is just mind-blowing it is it is amazing because they're the the kind of neural hashing that they're using they're saying you know you can rotate the picture you can tamper with it you can do all sorts of things to it and it will still it will still have the same fingerprint um i'm sure there are you know there are things you can do if you edit it enough it will break it but they're saying the common kind of tricks that people do like making it black and white or changing the color balance and things like that do not um you know will not or cropping it a bit or whatever will not break the hash so yeah um clever stuff very it's a, very it's a clever. Little bit like completely different subject but uh still incredibly clever and related to ai i was watching um a youtube uh video of uh the latest release of 
Tesla's self-driving. Uh, and it was this guy in America driving up a, up a mountain to a vineyard. And there were, whereas my car, my car's got sort of very limited um, assistance, you know, lane keep assist and that kind of thing, which very much relies on white lines. And this thing was driving, driving quite happily driving up this road. Okay, it wasn't perfect. He did have to take control a couple of times. But even so, he was driving up a road with no road markings up the side of this mountain. <laughs> And I just thought, wow, how far, how far they've come! Just oh yeah, incredible. And, and yeah, he's a braver man. And presumably, that's really. used that's using AI to work out where the road is and you know where the sides of the road are and all that sort of stuff uh, without any clues. There's no, no road clues to tell you which no. way the road goes, other than the road itself. And I thought, gosh, that's amazing. Yes. Uh, what we would have given to have that technology back in the uh, early 2000s to do this type of work would have uh, oh, would yeah, have made absolutely. us so efficient. I mean, we 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 were. I mean, back when we were doing uh, looking at someone's hard drive, we would use hash uh, of uh, abuse images to find evidence, and you use hash values of known files to get rid of files that you don't want to look at. If you can imagine how many files are on a Windows computer, for instance, yeah, and you don't want to be looking at the same config file, the same help file. So we would get, you know, you could reduce your a million files you're meant to go through. You could, if you could get rid of say 500,000 by hashing, by using a hash to get rid of them, the time it saved was unreal. And then we got to the point of where we had all these hashes of these abuse images that we were generating ourselves and we had no way of sharing them to create this CSAM database, which they have now. So we, in a, back in the day, we set up our own uh, SFTP server and shared them amongst law enforcement across the world um, in an attempt to do, you know, to make some sort of progress. It's just, uh, yeah, th this type of technology is just, it's a game changer. It really is. Yep, very much so. Um, very much so. And, you know, the more you read into it, the, the, the less concerning it becomes, I think. Um, and the only real I mean, it's good, it's good that, is... It's good, isn't it, that... Um... Because we hear a lot of bad stuff about AI. I mean, um, according to various luminaries, AI, we're all going to die at some point because AI is going to kill us all. Um, but AI is also doing good things. <laughs> yes, it is. As well. Um, and, and just, I think we'll wrap that up now. But for, for what it's worth, as I say, I've got a link to um, Craig uh, doing an interview about it. Um, I've got a link to the white paper, which is a technical summary for anybody who feels technical enough to read through that. Um, or, you know, I've got a link to Bart who has waded through it all so you don't have to. Um, there we go. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't heard Bart, but I've heard him explain other things and I've thought, how the heck did he explain that in a... Yeah. In, in an, Sometimes it's been something quite visual that he's actually explained. <laughs> and I thought, how has he managed to do that? So, yeah. Yeah. But so good at explaining complex things in, as you say, for the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as I say, the latest Apple Insider is also um, their kind of second look, as it were, after um, Craig and uh, the guy whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Um, <laughs> have, you know, clarified some points which were of concern to them. So there we go. Um, what else have we got in Apple? Um, I know you've got limited time, Andy, so we'll we'll push on. Um, a new US antitrust bill would require Apple and Google to allow third-party app stores and side-loading. Um, we've probably all read about this. Um, a bunch of American politicians have started saying that this would be a good thing and the rest of us are going, no, it wouldn't. You don't know what you're talking about, but there you go. Um, if you want to read about that, Mac Rumors and various other people have got that story. Um, I mean, we've said on this show plenty of times and Bart is of the same um, opinion and so are several other people that I listen to that this would be a very bad thing uh, overall. Um, what's your take on it, Andy? I just, I just think it's ridiculous that, you know, they developed the handsets, they developed the operating system and we have to make it available to everywhere else. Like it says in the article, people say, if I go to Walmart or I go to Target, are, are Walmart allowed to now put their own products in a Target store and put their own registers in there? I mean, this is, 
I, I don't get their argument. No. I really do not get their argument. I really don't get it at all. I mean, there are some things over which I agree. You know, the big tech companies need stronger overview, um, that certain regulations maybe need to be applied, but I don't think this is an answer to anything. This just seems to be, you know, throwing it all open to everybody. That just strikes me as the Wild West. I mean, the argument that Windows and Apple have been like that forever is not necessarily, you know, let's say, you know, how we, that's a bit like saying, well, in the Wild West, people rode around with guns shooting at each other and there was no law and, you know, so we should go back to doing that. That's a terrible, that's a terrible idea. You know, we used to send kids yeah, I, up chimneys. I categorize, yeah, I categorise the word sideloading with, with backdoor. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're both from the same um stable um yeah we want to be able to get in to do our own stuff yeah well that's very nice but it's apple store and it's google store so yeah <laughs> tough i mean actually... yeah let's hope let's hope it never gets anywhere because honestly well, it just, just opens up it's just gonna... so, for so much abuse and yeah. so much it's gonna uh, be a malware free-for-all it's a disaster yeah. waiting to happen um the big, the big point they're mentioning, though, is that, you know, developers are going to be able to make more money. Well, my experience of human beings being human beings is there's going to be so many free apps that there are going to be so many apps that are now available for free on the torrent sites and things. And people are going to stop buying apps. So developers revenue will go down because they'll just go to the torrent site and site load, yeah. you know, a compromised app. Yeah, you know that. That's right. It's a little bit like tightening up on copyright laws and saying, "Oh no, no, you can't possibly do that." Because think of the poor. It's not the children on this occasion. It's think of the poor uh, people who, you know, content creators. And when you actually look at who gets most of the money that's paid to content creators, it's not the content creators. No, it's everybody else. Everybody else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it strikes me as a lot of it is simply well we don't want to pay Apple for using their service. Um, well, yeah, which is a bit bonkers, isn't it, really? There we go. Yeah, we, do, we, we want to... Uh, going back in the day, before we had the internet, you know, if, if you'd gone to a shop and said, hey, I'd like to sell my stuff in your shop, and if you don't mind, I don't want you to get any money from it. <laughs> you think they would have said, oh, yes, of course, come on in, come on in. <laughs> yes, you can have your till at the front there. That's no problem. No problem, yeah. <laughs> or alternatively, they might have said, be off with you before I summon a policeman. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yes. A constabulary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And um, apparently, Apple says there is a fix planned for the do you do not have permission to open this application error when trying to use a scanner on Mac. Apparently, uh, there's a problem at the moment with um, uh, image capture and, uh, you know, using your scanner. So, um, oh. not something I've come come across, but then I no, don't... I haven't tried scanning in a long time. I so. haven't used a scanner in a very long time. Um, yeah. But uh, Apple says there is a fix planned um, soon. There we are. Um, in the in, in the interim, use your phone or, yeah. or use your iPad. Yeah, and take a photo. Yeah, I mean, sure, it's not as good as a flatbed scanner, but I have to say. Um, for general purpose, you know, capturing documents and whatnot, it is brilliant. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. You know, um, yes, I wouldn't really recommend it for trying to do a quality colour scan of a, you know, of a print that you've discovered from oh, no. 20 odd years ago, but... Um, That's right, or, or, or a 200-page or a, you know, document that you want scanning. That's probably no. not... Not not the best thing to do, no. (laughs) There we go. But then again, if you've ever had to scan a 200-page document with a flatbed scanner which doesn't have an autoloader, you're in the same boat. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Right. Um, This one just intrigued me. Um, NVIDIA faked an entire press conference using a CGI CEO. Um, Did you boys see this one? Yeah, I think they come out and said later that it was only like 14 seconds, was it, of the presentation? Um, I read somewhere. Yeah, correction on the article you're reading. All right, we're good. Um, but there was they transitioned in and out and nobody noticed, which is even more, I think, even more impressive yeah. than doing a whole the whole keynote. I yeah. mean, they transitioned in an AI model and out again to the CEO and no one noticed. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes. It's unreal, isn't it? 
Yeah, it says here, call it a computer-generated clone, bit like... a deep fake, or a virtual double. This virtual keynote presentation featured a human who was far from real. There we go. It's a little bit like the story about the um, that wasn't that long ago. Um, it was during the begin the beginning of the pandemic, um, where a a, um, a um, journalist was doing a an article on AI. And he decided that for the whole week, he wouldn't attend his meetings. And OK, he worked very hard at it. He did a lot of recordings of himself and whatever, so that he could play those recordings if he was needed to speak. And all the rest of it was re- recordings of him. He was never there live. Right. Uh, and none of his colleagues noticed. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was only he was only expected to speak for a very short time. Um, and as I say, he, rec- he pre-recorded himself. I thought that was really clever. But this is even cleverer. Actually, I'm I'm with you, Andy. I mean, although it says he's only on screen for 14 seconds, um, he spoke live to slides and cinematics, which were fully re- rendered in Omniverse. Um, Jensen Huang was only virtual when he revealed DGX, and briefly during the transition to that moment, in all from 102:29 to 102:56 in the video. But that's I think that's even more impressive. Actually, you'd be um, you'd think you'd be more likely to spot the transition there than if the whole yes, thing. Yes, because you're going. Yeah, because you're going from live to not to, to generated. Yeah. yeah. You know, so there you go. And, and quite and quite often when we're when we're looking at anything, um, where, where you're comparing two things, it's it's always when you compare them side by side. It's like Apple when they bring a new device, isn't it? And you say, "Whoa, compared to the old one, it's so much brighter." And you think, "Yeah, but if you've only got one of them, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference." You wouldn't know exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that is impressive. Oh, clever stuff. All clever it's stuff. Also, slightly worrying. Slightly yes, worrying slightly too. worrying, but, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I guess it's not that surprising in some ways because, I mean, if you look at console games, the, you know, the kind of photorealism um, has got yeah. ever greater. Um, the models they use in cutscenes and whatnot now are so becoming so lifelike. You know, they're not the sort of kind of um, animated mannequins that they used to be. Not by, you know, they they can create creatures with real moving hair and, you know, cloth that moves like real cloth and all sorts. It's unbelievable yeah. the amount of power that we are now throwing at manipulating these things. So there you go. So I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. It just caught my attention, not the, um, you know. So what was that? What was the purpose? Was just, just to prove how powerful their NVIDIA stuff is? Um, that was the point of it. Well, I, as far as I can see, um, it says... Uh, Nobody saw anything different, um, but NVIDIA explained how the CG segment was created in a blog post on Wednesday as they presented their computer graphics conference. So, um, Oh, okay. So they were using it as an example. I, I think, effectively, that it's, a, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a brag, isn't it? You all watched the yes. CEO, you know, well, 14 seconds of that was completely generated using our tools. So, you know, just see how brilliant our tools are. Um, Clever stuff. There we are. So, yeah, I think it was a clever little piece. They inserted it and then um, explained how they did it after the event and said, I bet you didn't spot it. Um, There we are. Very, uh, you know, very intriguing, really. Um, Right. Uh, We'll press on to the uh, security and privacy uh, bits and pieces, I suppose. Um, It's going to be a fairly short show, uh, this one, because we obviously we were mostly here to recap some of the uh, child things with Andy. And I thought there's a few here which Andy might be able to, you know, enlighten us on a bit more. Um, The first one is the Poly Network Hacker returns nearly all $610 million in stolen assets. Um, This comes from the thing that the Poly Network was hacked and um, I think it was a a selection of um, cryptocurrency assets were taken. Um, And then a few days later, um, the, you know, the perpetrator thereof started returning it in largish chunks. Um, and now almost all of it has been returned. Um, and I believe now that the Poly Network have um, given him a bug bounty of like half a million dollars or something. Did did you read any of that story, Andy? Yeah, so this is an intriguing one, really, isn't it? Because uh, it's 
yeah, I don't, I, it's going to make things more difficult now, I think, when uh, they're trying to liquidate cash. Is that what the, the, the sort of the reasoning behind this, that they've stolen all of this money, but they can't liquidate it? So I, I don't know. The bug bounty at least is, is going to be something that they can put like dollars in their pocket. Yeah, I, I don't know. The, there seem to be several theories. One is that they did it and as a kind of, um, you know, ha, 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 you're not as secure as you'd like to think you are. Um, as it says here, one of the largest cryptocurrency thefts in history has changed into one of the oddest, with the perpetrator or perpetrators returning nearly all of the $610 million in assets. Um, you know, I find it quite ironic, really, because, I mean, the whole point of cryptocurrency was that it was so secure uh, that you couldn't really you couldn't really hack into it. But obviously, no one at the time actually thought, well, what happens if someone actually steals it? <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it, it's all very well saying, you know, it, crypt, crypt, uh, the crypt, cryptography of it is terribly complex and incredibly difficult to sort of uh, hack. But if you can physically steal it, well, not physically, but if you can, um, if you can actually steal them, then uh, then they're just as vulnerable in many ways as any currency. Mm. Um, it says here... But it does seem as if someone was trying to make a point, weren't they? Yeah, Obviously. I mean... Um... I'm not very interested in money. I know it hurts when people are attacked, but shouldn't they learn something from these hacks? One post reads, according to the uh, Wall Street Journal. Um, Polly have said, we would like to thank his commitment for helping us improve the Polly network security and hope he will help contribute to the blockchain sector's continued development upon accepting a bug bounty which is half a million, apparently. Some analysts, however, believe Mr. White Hat might have had a change of heart after realising the stolen assets were more difficult to liquidate than originally planned due to the relatively transparent nature of blockchain technologies. Um, well, yeah, I mean, from what... Oh, right. Okay, so it's a little bit of what Andy said and a little bit of... It, it could be one, it could be one <laughs> of either. Depends on what... what the... Yeah. Yeah, depends what angle you come from. Um, or some foreign government told them that they had to return it or there is going to be consequences. Well, that's another possibility, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, you, you've, you've, that, I think this is another one of these. It, it depends what you, how you want to think about it. If you believe that this guy acts, or guy or persons, person or persons unknown, as they might say in Andy circles, um, if they did, you know, did they really do it just to prove that, uh, you know, the the network was not as secure as they like to say, or did they decide that, oh, now we've got this, it's not as actually as difficult, you know, it's not as easy to shift as we thought it might be. But to be honest, the only flaw in that argument, from my point of view, is if you're clever enough to be able to hack into um, this sort of network and make off with 610 million in cryptocurrency assets... I doubt you would be naive enough to think that you could just bugger off somewhere else and shift it. Um, yeah, you, you, you'd have to understand how it worked, wouldn't you? So I, I, <laughs> I would have thought anyway. If you, you know, I would think, you know, I don't know what Andy thinks about this, but I would think if you know enough to pull off this kind of um, hack, you're unlikely to be foolish enough to think that you're going to go off with 610 million in cryptocurrency and simply go to a different exchange and offload it for cash. Um, I mean, there's various ways you can launder the money through tumblers and things on the blockchain, on, on if it's Bitcoin that they've taken, but um, it's a lot of money to disappear. I mean, you can remain anonymous with it and they could get away with it, but the minute it touches a, a mainstream um, exchange, then the, probably the feds will have will be straight into the account and seize the money so yeah it could be that you can you know take 600 million but you can't do anything with it because it is hard to launder that amount of money without it touching a legitimate you know uh a legitimate uh exchange at some point yeah and i mean um was it you who was telling us before uh andy about how you were trying to follow a blockchain for a chunk of missing cash Last time, yeah, you well, were I've on? been doing that for a while, yeah, and it could have been Nick uh, Furno as well because Nick yes. is highly into this. Yes, uh, it could but have been. it's not it's not as easy. I mean, you can you know you can go to local like uh, like Bitcoin meetups where you know you're there and people have got cash to you know they want to buy it you know covertly, you want to sell it covertly, that type of thing. But those meetups are, you know, probably for a few thousand dollars at the time. You're not going to turn up and say, I've got 600 million to, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> to, 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 to exchange with you. I mean, we're talking probably a thousand or 
something like that, it would take you forever. Yeah, I know. And it's also a bit like, um, you know, it's like the the thing about, you know, the old joke about stealing the crown, the crown jewels of England or whatever. Everybody says, yeah, you know, oh, we've got all this security and never, nobody's ever stolen the crown jewels of England. Yeah, mostly because most criminals would tell you you'd never get, you'd never fence the damn stuff. What would you do with it? You know, you'd never it get does, rid it of does, it. It does, it does make you think, though, does, does it really have value? I mean, it has values in people's heads. It has values um, because people are, pay- are prepared to pay for it. But as you say, if you've got all that money's worth of, what's the point? What's the point if you can't sell it? Yeah, it's booked. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, mm, cryptocurrency is weird, isn't it? It is, in, <laughs> in that sense. But then again, you know, uh, why are diamonds worth anything? They're only worth something because people say they're worth something. Yeah, but at least you can actually physically hold a diamond. That is true, yes. <laughs> and they're pretty shiny stones, but, you know, why Why are they valued at, you know, tens of thousands yeah. of dollars? Because we've decided that they're worth tens of thousands of dollars. That's um, right, yeah. Same for know. printer ink, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Although at least you can do something with printer ink, you know. Um, That's true. I mean that's an endless an endless debate. I mean the I watched a movie the other day uh where uh what was it called Triple Frontier. It wasn't a particularly spectacular movie, but the point is they a a bunch of a, a bunch of ex, you know, special forces dudes um take uh about 200 million in cash from a a, a drug lord in south america and and attempt to get away with it and it reminded me a bit of the treasure of the sierra madre if you were old enough to remember that where um in in the treasure of the sierra madre they get a load of gold dust and in the end the robbers fall out you know one by one they backstab each other for this for this gold dust and i think the final guy dies in the desert and you see the wind blowing the gold dust away into the desert as it's spilled (laughs) out of his saddlebags well, in this one, there's a bit where they're up in the mountains trying to make their getaway. Um, and the, the bloke says, we're going to freeze. And the bloke says, well, we need a fire. And the bloke like, lights a $100 bill. And then the other one goes, that's not a fire. And he dumps like a whole suitcase of money, you know, <laughs> on the top of it and goes, Dad, we've got a fire. And they all sit around laughing as, you know, like, I don't know, some ludicrous amount of money is burning. And they say, well, at least it keeps us warm. Which is, you know, about all it's good for in reality. Mm. Uh, there we are. That's um, it is. It is. You know, what what is the inherent value of anything? I suppose is a rather philosophical question. But um, hmm. there we go. I, it, it it was just well, it was a strange story because first of all, yeah, this you know, this money disappeared. This cryptocurrency was taken, um, and then it started coming back. Um, Either they did it, you know, they really did do it to say, look, we're good at doing this and you're not as secure as you think you are. Or, um, yeah, they thought naively that it would be easier to shift than it really was. I don't know. Um, I just... it's, a little bit, it's a little bit like uh, one of those things that sort of occupies my mind when I've got nothing better to do. Yeah. Um, it's thinking thinking about if time travel were possible and how you could make yourself rich. Yeah. And when you actually start digging into it, it would be really difficult to do because if how are you going to do it and be anonymous because you don't want to leave footprints for people to be able to see and in the past, as it were. And how do you get it to yourself in the present? Uh, and when you actually start thinking it through, you think, oh, gosh, this is hard. <laughs> a lot harder than it No, it's only theoretical. Yeah, exactly. Or, no, it's not theoretical. It's fanciful, really. So um, we'll move on to um, night terrors. Ransomware campaigns are exploiting the print nightmare vulnerability. Um, that's from PC Mag. And uh, Znet have um, ransomware. Now attackers are exploiting Windows print nightmare vulnerabilities, which are basically both the same story. Um, obviously, we've been talking about the print nightmare uh, exploits for several weeks now. Um, apparently, they're still not properly fixed. Or, or, sorry, I believe actually that's not true. I believe 
they are allegedly now closed, but obviously uh, ransomware um, perpetrators are relying on the fact that lots of people take far too long to, um, you know, patch their systems or that, yeah. you know, big companies um, often, you know, for perfectly good reasons, have to uh, do a, you know, a full um, check that it's not going to break anything critical before they start rolling out patches. Um, yeah. And that allows them um, a, a gateway in. Um, Lowest hanging fruit and all that. In, indeed. Um, is that something you've had much to do with, Andy? I mean, this is, we, I know we patched ours um, about a month ago, I think. Um, but the problem is that, like you just said, I mean, you summed it up there really in a big organization. There's only, there's only so much uh, you can do without putting everything else at risk without, if you're not doing use, if you're not in a UAT environment or you're in a dev environment where you're able to run patches to see if they affect anything else. Um, so it does take time. Um, so yeah, I can't, I'm not surprised. And, and this type of uh, this type of vulnerability, once it becomes widespread and everyone's knowledge, then everyone in their you know everyone in their dog picks up the the chance to exploit a machine a different way. Um, yeah, yeah. As it as it says in this article, print nightmare is a compelling target in part because it affects every version of Windows. Yes, by design, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. because the um, because the print queue is a you know a subsystem and um, yes. designed to work across networks of you know various um various versions of windows because a print queue is actually a a fairly simple piece of kit really yeah it's the uh if it ain't broke don't fix it the idea isn't it so make a print queue if it works for everybody then why why keep changing it (laughs) yeah exactly why mess about with it um i mean ransomware seems to be an ever-growing problem is that i mean i you know i don't know exactly what sort of uh, cases you work on andy but i mean are you coming up against ever more ransomware yeah i mean technically uh it's it's low-hanging fruit because people still at the end of the day the human element is still the issue with you know give me something free give me something cheap um Mm. give me access to something you know that i shouldn't have access to or something and people click i mean once you, you just you know you have one endpoint in your network compromised and then with ransomware everything goes you know it's so widespread now with the vulnerabilities because everything's so connected yeah if people just didn't you know believe that they're going to get 30 percent return on a on a cryptocurrency investment or whatever in two weeks or something then we'd probably make life a lot easier yeah indeed um so and once it's there i mean it's realistically to chances to get your um your data unencrypted is very very slim yeah indeed you know even if you pay um you know some of these ransomware gangs don't even know how the damn thing they they're using works you know they've bought it in the dark web or got it from somewhere they don't know what the cryptographic keys are they've got no idea they just take the money and run yeah um, and some uh some we saw recently only encrypted like the first megabyte of the file right and uh if you had a large file like if you were doing your audio recordings you could probably if you had like a gig file you could probably recover the rest but you just lose that first some were 256 uh, kilobytes but some was up to like a meg depending on the the strain so it still was to the average person it was you know irretrievable but it was really quick to go through the system that was what you know to encrypt 256 kilobytes or like even just a meg is very quick in your system it was just done in seconds and of course, you know your your average operating system. If you can't read the header string, it's trashed. Yeah, it doesn't know what file it is, or you lose that that important information. But we were able to recover some files and recreate them um, based on just looking at the raw data. But yeah, I mean, for the average person, their computer will be encrypted within like seconds. Yeah, seconds. It's yeah because well, it's it. it it's it's actually playing on one of the strengths of encryption, you know, like FileVault. You know, once it's in, you don't actually have to encrypt every single bit um, of, a, of a file structure to make it unusable to the end user. You just, I mean, I know FileVault encrypts every single bit, but that's 
a whole different matter. But if you want to do it very, because File Vault can take a long time. If you've got a lot of data and you turn it on after the event, right before you know, rather than file, if, if you File Vault your your SSD and then put the data onto it, that won't take any longer than putting the data onto it, basically. But if you've got a load of data and then decide to turn it on, you know, it can take hours to uh, yeah. encrypt the whole lot. Or decrypt it for that matter, if you wish to go the other direction. But there we are. Um, I mean, the Mac has become the Mac has become uh, so good now for the wipe with the wiping features of Monterey coming in. So it's going to be much like the phone, where you can wipe it instantly because they just get rid of the, the uh, encryption key. Yeah. Once you delete the encryption key, your your data is gobbledygook. Yep, and uh, you know you don't actually have to expunge the um, data from the drive. It once the keys are gone, it's useless, and it just becomes yeah. effectively a blank disk. Um, and we'll wrap up with one more because I know you've got to go uh, any minute now, Andy. Um, one password for eight. Uh, one password eight for Mac with an improved interface performance and more is now available in early access. Um, however, um, it's not had a fantastic reception. Um you know universally um i'm not quite sure why uh i'm not a one password user but i know a lot of people who you know come on this show are um and a lot of people in the slack uh rely heavily on it um seems to be some concern about it going back to being an electron app um i'm not sure how much that affects it and i i suspect also some people are unhappy because i believe they're removing the one-time purchase option and going purely to subscription but uh there you go Mm. um yeah i've been a one password user for i I would like to say 10 years and uh i think that the issue i'm on the subscription um so i don't think for myself that's too much of an issue i think the electron app is that electron apps are notoriously um known for uh, vulnerabilities because of the complexities of the underlying uh, Node.js and, you know, what forms the Electron app. And it can be a, traditionally can be a bit of a um, a resource hog as well. Right. Um, I have to say, I've started looking at an app called Secrets on the App Store. Okay, um, not familiar with that one. But, by, um... uh, it's been written by an ex, I think it was an ex-Apple uh, developer a while. It, uh, it's been out for a while but it reminds me of what one password used to be like five or six years ago. It's nice and clean interface and it does what it does without any of the bells and whistles. And it's a one-time purchase as well. Um, I like it. I think I'm going to move to it myself. Okay. Let's have a look. I'm just bringing it up now. Have a quick look. Oh, yeah. Simple, secure password <laughs> so manager one, one, and wallet. Yeah, you can put a 10 items in it for free to test it, which is um, what That's I've been doing. Cool. And it's really not, I like the look of it. It's slick and it does uh, iCloud sync. So you don't have to um, put it onto their servers. Mm-hmm. It's been around for a while. And it's also part of that setup for the Mac, if you've got setup. Okay. Oh, I've got setup, yeah. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. So it, uh, in but app, it's really nice. Yeah. In-app purchases are premium for uh, basically £18 UK. And then it says premium promo, whatever that is, um, for £12. So I assume that's some kind of buy it immediately and i don't know because uh there you go i don't know what exactly oh, what thank you for that andy <laughs> i'm gonna have a look at that yeah it's really nice i i i, I like it because it's i mean i'm subscription i'm not too worried about it because password manager i'm you know happy to invest in but this looks really good I, i've been I had it for about a week or so now and yeah uh, i mean I, I, in many ways i'd be happy if one password were a little simpler because yeah all i want it to do is remember my passwords yeah this is <laughs> and that's about the, it really yeah this is what this does to me actually it looks like okay um, that's take a look I'll definitely be having a look in fact i'm installing it now yeah <laughs> um low subscription is always a good thing as well yeah yeah it says here excellent choice for one password refugees this is a you know a customer review like many power users unhappy about one password's new vc funded customer hostility i've been on the hunt for an alternative secrets fits the bill first things first it is beautiful simple and gets out of your way it's fast too I love the import options, migrating from one password, including the secure notes, two-factor authentication, and software licenses with Seamless. It's a good Mac, where's the extra bit, citizen, and it doesn't take up excessive system resources. Okay, if I was to nitpick, I'd like to see additional export options, um, but this is a minor point. Okay, um, there you go. So he's given it a five-star review. Um, I, I have to go as well, so um, yep, it was I know. great talking to you guys. 
Excellent. Yeah, you too. Yep, I know you've got to go, Andy. So cheers, mate. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on and giving us your time because I know you're a busy man. No worries, Mike. Good to speak to you. All right. Lovely. I'll speak to you later. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Oh, bye. Bye. Cheers, Andy. Well, there we go. Oh, that's a, that's a top one. We'll put that straight in. I'm going to put that in the... Um, Put that in the show notes for everybody. It does look very Ooh, good. I like the look of this, actually. Yeah. I, it, 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 I've just been through the install, which is very simple. And it, not only that, it gets you to print out a, um, you know, one of these 3D barcodes, uh, which, which is your recovery key. Excellent. Oh, that's really clever. That's really clever. And then you can keep that somewhere safe, just in case you forget your master password. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, could like probably, you could probably keep the, uh, keep the image on your phone and um, scan it well, from your yeah. Mac camera. Um, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, it's a Safari extension, by the way, for those who are interested, um, rather than a full-blown cool. um, app as such. Um, um, I'm not sure about that. It, it it is an app, but it has a Safari extension. Oh, it has a Safari extension, so it's an app and a Safari extension. Now, yeah, well, that makes sense. That it makes is. sense. Yeah, excellent. I shall. Um, I might take a look Have at a that. Have a play. But um, there we go. I'm going to put that in the show notes. And uh, I guess, well, that's pretty much all the stories covered anyway, Nick. So um, it is. It was always going to be a slightly shorter show than uh, usual because we knew Andy, you know, had a limited amount of time. So I guess we'll wrap it up. Um, I think that's fair enough. Do you want to go first and tell people where they cannot find you? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, um, you can find me occasionally on Twitter as Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. And you can hear me over on Bart Show occasionally over on the Let's Talk Apple. And I'm in the Slack room, so oh, join the Slack and, uh, and we can chat in there. Indeed. Right. So um, you can, of course, find me on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. The show is at Essential Apple. Um, You will find all the stuff over at EssentialApple.com. And that's about it, really. Thank you to everybody who supports the show in all the usual, uh, you know, usual banners. And uh, I guess we'll call that a show and we'll be back uh, next time in a more usual format. But uh, until then, Nick and I will say goodbye. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Andy too. Right. See you all next time. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club podcast, the geekiest show ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Shots and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Hello and good evening. This is Gaz for the MyMac Podcast. And we know you have your pick of high-quality downloadable audio content, and we appreciate that you choose ours. Quite right, old bean. This is Guy, and we're here to say that the MyMac Podcast is the right choice to make. Intelligent, cultured, and downloaded by only the finest and most educated people. Indeed. In fact... We restrict our delightful missives to only those best suited... (sighs) Guy, I can't go on with this. Who are we kidding? The MyMac podcast is probably one of the most accessible shows there is. Gaz, we're trying to up our reputation here. Oh, shut it. Listen, folks, tired of tech podcasts that talk over your head and go on too long, taking themselves so seriously, you'd think they were the ones making the product? then you should listen to the MyMac.com podcast. 
at least three good chuckles per segment. If my math is right, that's about ten laughs per show. Right. Because three times three is ten. Sometimes I really wonder about you, guy. No need to wonder where to find the podcast. Just go to iTunes and search for my Mac. Subscribe and jump into the fun. You know, we're part of the Stoplight Network, and there are a lot of important people there. Well, we did say we hardly know anyone important. Though there was that time I was less than thirty feet away from the Waz, and I could have sworn we made eye contact. Most likely, he was having stomach cramps. Well, that would explain why he was doubled over at the time. The MyMac.com podcast. Enjoy it over a copper. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you next time.